What's up, guys? We got the second of two podcasts today. Like I mentioned off the top of the show, Colin and I did our usual Mailbag Friday show. You can check that out in the feed as well. But I also called up my old radio pal, Brian Haydad. We discussed a number of topics uh, ranging Mississippi State, the pandemic, sports in the last year, um, all kinds of different stuff. And then, of course, got into the baseball series this weekend. Was uh, good catching up with my old pal, Hey Dad. I hope he's still giving Richard the business every now and again on the show. But uh, I had that conversation in the bag. I didn't want to put it into a two-hour-long podcast, but it was too good a conversation not to use in some degree. So you're getting two podcasts today. If you need to make it through work, need to make it through the weekend, uh, you're welcome. So, Brian, Hey Dad, without further ado, let's go. Rippy writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. All right, we now welcome on the biggest pain in the ass Richard Cross has ever met, Brian Haydad, my old radio cohort. I had to surprise you out of the gates. Was that uh, was that a plus? It took me a while to think of that. I, I was told that guests on this show get free meat. Is that is that a true statement? All you got to do is go type in your uh, email into my uh, Substack newsletter and you get all the free meats in the world. Just uh, ask LB's Greg. That man's uh, hooking it up. Uh, he drives that's around right. Oxford just throwing meat at people. <laughs> I guess that's an upgrade at Oxford from the old days of, of cash bags going out the window. <laughs> it's, a, it's a change in scenery. He told me Lane Kiffin was a scallop guy, not a money bag guy the other day. <laughs> so, <laughs> It's uh, that was actually he dropped that tidbit on last night's grill corner. But uh, what's been happening, man? I hadn't seen that beautiful shining face in a while until we turned on this Zoom. This pandemic sucks. It does suck. Uh, it has sucked uh, throughout. Um, things have been good. You know, I had a, a summer of really having to work to think of content ideas. You know, I did a lot of deep dives into old games and old seasons. I came up with a big sixty-four person bracket. That, uh, that I did to find who the, the greatest Mississippi State athlete was. Spoiler, it was Dak Prescott. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, I, I cooked a lot because, I mean, you, you know this being in sports media, free weekends are a weird thing, you know. To not even – you know, there are games where you, they're on the road and you maybe you're not, you're not at the game, but you're watching those games and you're locked into them. And there was just nothing going on. I mean, I remember when the last dance happened, I was just like, this is fantastic. This might be the greatest thing I've ever seen. And I think it was just sort of – I think the term is press box hot sometimes where it's just like there's, there's just nothing else there. So the, the food is better in the press box because there's nowhere else to eat. You know, I had, I had Borky on last week and we were kind of talking about a similar topic to where, you know, I only made it till June before the layoffs happened and I was right. out or whatever. But, you know, I made it through not the bulk of it because you guys still had to carry the water like literally for two more months. But it was kind of weird. We had that meeting on that whatever that day was when they started canceling shit or whatever. Yeah. And we were like thinking of stuff to do. And I don't know about you, but I was like, man, after two weeks, we're probably going to be screwed, but we made it fine. And yeah. you know, we, it wasn't always great, but at the same time, we made it two months of content of doing three hours of radio every day, which is pretty impressive. And I know everybody did it to some degree, but I never even felt that there was much of a drop off. Like I never had many of those. Yeah. It was like, what are we even talking about? I thought we managed through it fine. And, you know, four people on a radio show is a little unique. Maybe it's a little crowded sometimes. But, I, like, looking back now, that had to be a huge benefit when there's nothing to talk about. Yeah, you, you could at least talk to each other. You know, you could at least have conversations about God knows what. But, yeah, as opposed to, you know, I mean, give credit to guys like Colin Cowherd and Jim Rome, 
who were just sitting out there taking it for three hours, coming up with stuff off the hip to talk about and not having really anybody to bounce ideas off of. Yeah, so you're right. Having the four people and then it turned in, unfortunately turned into three uh, was a benefit to us because we could, if nothing else, we could just sort of reminisce and have conversations about things that had happened in the past. We were talking about it right before we just started recording, but obviously you guys had to go another month, month and a half, two months after that. And then you have that devastating weekend. A buddy of mine got married that weekend. So I'll never, like the date was like, so oh, it really was devastating for that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it, so that's the reason I remember the date is like August 10th, but y'all are having, y'all made it through another two months of that. And then you get that weekend avalanche of terrible news where Dan Walken and Pat Forty's half chubs can be seen pointing across the center of the internet sphere about how there's not going to be football. And like, what were those couple of days like before things tempered down? It was like, okay, actually SEC, ACC, Big 12 are going to kind of hold this together. Like there had to be at least a small panic. The, the, the blood rush, I'm surprised those guys could type with the blood rush from the head to the, to the uh, groin area. What do you when, think they, when they thought? Well, uh, the article will be ready when it's ready. It just takes me a little while. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there was. I, I remember that Monday coming in to the studio here where, where I'm sitting now, and you know, looking at the monitors and looking at Twitter and just thinking, this, this, they, they might shut this down. And I, 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 but I believed in one thing, Rippy. I believed in the overwhelming greed of college football and its administrators. And I was like, there's no way they're going to walk away from the billions of dollars that are at stake here. Somebody's going to play football. And this is the South. And it's, it's as red as it can be. It's going to be the SEC. We're going to be okay. But there was a moment where I was like, we might be in trouble here. And then, you know, the Big Ten makes its announcement. And then the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 pretty quickly were like, nah, bro, that's not what we're going to do at all. And it just sort of went from there. And I, I remember celebrating sort of privately uh, when the SEC made its announcement because I knew that we could move forward with life as normal a little bit. Yeah, and it was interesting because my re initial reaction to that was twofold. It was like, one, why make this decision now? Like, why not keep yes. kicking the can down the road? What is the point of this? It's not like you're having media days. Like, you right. know, what, what is the point of doing this now? And the SEC and the Big 12 and the Big 10, I mean, it almost turned into a political thing to where – you know, if you were on one side, you probably supported the Big Ten and the Pac-12. You're on the other, you probably supported the other three. Mm -hmm. which, I mean, how it's a microcosm of our country today. But, right. you know, be that as it may, it's interesting this, how little we knew about everything, even just like seven months in, because I don't want to say that study that scared all them off turned out to be a hoax, but it turned out to be way less significant, the mitocartosis yeah. thing or whatever. Right. But at the time, like – other part of me was like, one, why make the decision now? Two, if it's based off the study, okay, that kind of makes sense. But like, can we get some more information on it? And it was just kind of a whirlwind. I didn't know how to feel about it, but I was kind of with you. I was like, greed's going to win out in the end. Because yeah. even if the Big Ten's canceling, the SEC like is smart enough to know if you don't have football, like everything else after that is going to cease to exist eventually. Like I, what, what in the world does college sports look like if they had not held firm? I mean, you might have basketball. And some schools might keep baseball, but that would be about it. And, and you really hit on – and that's something that I talked about a ton on the show was if you want to say we're, we're cautiously pessimistic, that's fine. But canceling when they did – because what happened? They ended up looking like idiots, and they ended up having to, like, 
scramble to put a season together, and they almost didn't get their best team into the playoff because they only got to play six games or whatever it was. All you had to do was say, we're just going to wait until the last second, and then we'll make our decision. That's what the SEC did, and it worked out just fine. And we ended up having a really interesting and, and sometimes fun, especially from my end, uh, fun football season. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it was a testament to the idea of just being patient. And this patience paid off for the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12, and then the Pac-12 and the Big 10, who, who I agree were trying to score political brownie points with whoever. Uh, that, that, that was their, their, their lack of patience ended up nearly costing them a lot more. And I'm not a huge, like, anti-don't-trust-the-media guy, but it almost became a farce like the way that whole thing played down because instead of like, and it's not everyone, the majority of people in this business, whether it's nationally right. or locally, are good at their jobs and good at what they do. But you know, the culprits I'm talking about, I made a joke about two of them earlier. There's probably yeah. six, seven out there that they just became so entrenched in their stances. And then there's, it's the other way too. You had the Clay Travis's of the world who, whatever right. you think about him, like there are people on the other side of it that it became such a farce when the big 10 and the uh, Pac-12 reverse courses because those same people started patting them on the back for being yes and gaining more information. It's like, that is not yeah. at all what happened here. They're trying to get the money that they're missing out on because they realized they made a stupid decision. Like it, yeah. it's almost like walking away from a blackjack table when you're down and then getting credit for being patient when you walk back up because you forgot something and then you happen to go play another hand. I tried to just pull an allergy out of my butt and it didn't work. But the point being is, like, patience was not what they were doing. Because why would you – like, if the virtue was patience, why would you cancel in the first place? Never walk away from a heater, Rippy. That's the, that's the only blackjack advice I have for you. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, but you're right. I mean, the one who stands out to me is Nicole Auerbach. She was, you know, all about – they canceled, and that's a good thing. And then when they started, oh, they, they, they did this, that. I'm like, are you reading what you're typing? Are you actually – is this going through your brain? Where are you coming? The worst one though was Christine Brennan, who said it was the darkest day in college football history. I'm like, really? Did you just miss Paterno? Did you? Did, that, yes, that just didn't happen. When they reverse course, she didn't even give them credit for being patient. She said it was the darkest yeah. day in Big Ten history, and this like, yeah, Paterno like, happened. You missed, like children got hurt at Penn State, but this is the darkest day. Just hyperbole for the sake of yeah. needing clicks. So they're, you know, it's clicks. Yeah, exactly. So uh, before we get into Ole Miss State baseball stuff, which was obviously the main reason I shot you the text the other night, other than wanting to catch up, but how were the football games this year? Because, you know, one of the things, you know, taking a step out of media was like one of the consolation prizes was like, hey, I could actually go uh, – go to the games, drink a couple beers, hang out, kind of do the whole – whether it was Oxford or Starkville, there are people I kind of want to see both. You know, go to a couple yeah. games out here. Um, what were the games like covering it? That had to be eerie because, obviously, there was no point in – I didn't go back because I was like, what is the point? Like, you can't tailgate. You can't go, like, see people. It's weird. What was it like working? Right. It was different, obviously. You know, you're in the press box. Uh, there was nobody within six feet of me. You know, normally you're just sitting right next to one of your buddies and you're just BSing the whole game. No, I couldn't do that. I had to wear a mask the whole time. Uh, and they were pretty, pretty strict about that, you know, from during football season. It's now in baseball, I'm fully vaccinated at this point. So I just sit there with my mask off and I don't, nobody says anything, but then they were like, Hey, you need to put your mask on. Um, and then, you know, 
being in the at Davis Wade, you know, the pumped in crowd noise was weird. You know, seeing you know ten thousand people in the stands, and of course, state the way they played this year didn't really help with the excitement level or anything. Once you got past the Arkansas game, so it was definitely eerie. But at the same time. You know, I remembered that day in August where I thought none of this was going to happen, so I never took it for granted. And I don't think that I will ever again. I think that I will always be grateful to be able to go up to the press box and sit there. And I, I'm not going to be one of these guys complaining about the meal or complaining about the heat. I'm just like, I'm happy to be here. I'm not digging ditches today. Let's, let's, let's move forward. I told Ben Garrett that, too. I was like, I'll never complain about a midweek baseball game again. Or how about just the given fact we're going to get 12 games? Because even – you know, and I was looking at it more from like just a fan of the sports perspective this year where like, you know, I'd go to my day job in the midweek and I, I tried to keep up with it day by day for a while and the cancellations and postponements would start rolling in and it would like frustrate me and put me in a bad mood. And after like five weeks of it, I was like, all right, to hell with this. I'm just like, I'm going to go about my Saturday and if there's football on TV, I'm going to mm -hmm. watch it until it's not on TV anymore. But just the fact that we're not going to have to worry about moving games around and stuff like that, too. Like when, you know, knock on wood, if we continue to trend this way and get back to normal and all that. Yeah. Having 12 Saturdays of fall that are set in stone. Because if you'd have told, like, 2014 you, sorry, State and Auburn are not going to play. This is going to get postponed to the end of November. You would have been like, was there a bomb? Like, what happened? Yeah, it kind of was. It yeah, won't happen. Yeah. And it became a common thing after, like, three weeks. It's like, okay, this one's – I mean, Ole Miss's game with A&M never happened. Their game with LSU – no, not get moved. They had another one that got squirrely. Like, LSU you, got like, moved. What is yeah. this? Like, yeah, State, and I'll never take that credit again. Trying to think. State didn't have one canceled until November, which was the Auburn game. And that got moved into December. That's and then they moved the uh, – they moved the Missouri game at the end of the year – back a week. State played its final game, I believe, I believe on December 12th, which was weird. You know, it's December 12th and I'm at a football game in Starkville. I mean, one thing, if it's a bowl game, I guess. Um, you know, I remember going to the Egg Bowl and State went up there with like 45 players. And, I mean, they just, they really just did the best they could. I, I was impressed that they only lost by seven, to be honest with you. So, but you're sort of like, it's what you were saying. I remember that first Saturday of college football. And it was like Kansas State versus uh, – or it was Iowa State, Louisiana, Lafayette. They had that yeah. big upset game. And, I mean, I watched every second of it. I was enthralled. I was like, thank God college football is back. So. And then as we get the fans back, so, the, you know, Ole Miss and State opened the baseball season in my backyard. Like, that stadium is like a mile yeah. the crow flies from me. And I walked in that day, and that was like one of the first time I felt the world like back to normal again is there's – I don't remember the number, but it felt like 10, 15,000 people at least in that stadium yeah. those days. And I was like, this feels normal. This feels awesome again. Like, you know, and I, that was, I was sitting there thinking as we transition into college baseball, it's like, not only did you have the COVID restrictions where not everyone could get into that ballpark, which is awesome, by the way. Mm -hmm. And two, you had the snowpocalypse out here that pushed the tournament yeah. back a day where I was searching for bread and milk out in the streets. Because uh, you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't, couldn't drive anywhere for like seven days. But I was sitting there thinking, man, how many people would be at this game? I mean, at these games this weekend if the world were normal. Because you had that many people show up. And there were tons of state fans. I walked through the gates the first day. 
and saw like 10 state fans because they walked out, I guess. They played before Ole Miss the first day and they were right. walking out. That I knew within 10, like seriously 10 minutes before I even got inside the stadium, I was like, man, can you imagine how big of a party this would be if the world was normal? Which I think kind of te- is a testament to college baseball growing as annoying as the fan bases can be on the internet. Well, on top of that, I mean, not even normal. It's just normal at that point. Like, if we had gone through the pandemic and gone through football season and everything, but then for that week and they were like, come on out here and, you know, just watch the game, I think you would have had 30,000, 40,000 people there. I think people were just starved, especially with baseball, because that was the sport that didn't get to finish its season a year ago. You know, basketball, especially for State and Ole Miss, I don't think either of them were going to the NCAA tournament at that point. The season was just over. You felt like it, was, it had finality. But baseball got cut off right – I mean, I remember that Friday of seeing tweets like they're pulling the kids off the bus at LSU who they're about to head to Oxford. They are, or, or, I'm sorry, the, it was the other way around. They're going from Oxford to LSU or whatever it was. And it was like, oh, my God, baseball. We're not, we're not playing baseball this weekend. And it, it just ended. It ended so suddenly. So I think people were hungry for college baseball this year, especially with State and Ole Miss because it's two good teams. Absolutely. Before we dive into the baseball, I did the state of the programs, like all six programs at Borky last week. Um, just your take on Leach year one and how that transitioned to the year two and just like temperature of the fan base. Well, the first game was fantastic. I'll say that. It, that was something that I didn't think I'd ever see in my lifetime, a Mississippi State team rolling up 600-plus passing yards on LSU. Um, I think, you know, obviously they, they turned from there. But by the end of the season, I felt like he had his, his, his culture, and that's such an overused word, but I felt like it was in place that the guys who were left playing, the 50-some-odd guys, were the guys that wanted to play football for Mississippi State. So going into year two, you know, Will Rogers another year. Uh, you, you brought back almost everybody offensively and defensively. You, you should be better this year, you know. I think by and large everybody's excited for year two of Mike Leach, but it needs to be better. You know, you can't, you can't have the kind of, of games he had a year ago scoring two points, scoring no points. You can't have those kind of games this year. So, you know, get to seven wins, win your non-conference game, find three conference wins. Everybody's happy for you. Yeah, so I imagine with a guy like Leach, like obviously his style is not necessarily abrasive, but he always has a different culture change because it's such obviously most of the time a different system than the guy that preceded him. And so there's a lot of change and there's a lot of turnover. And I imagine in a year where there's already enough challenges, these kids are having tubes stuck up their nose every day to figure out if they can play the next week. I don't even make it mean to make it sound like it's on the kid is why I said that. Right. But when you can leave the season and it's not transferring necessarily or quitting on the program, it's quote unquote opting out. I imagine that only makes that harder. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does. And state obviously had a ton of that uh, this year. I mean, I think, I think it ended up being like 17 guys, something like that off the roster, you know, and, you know, big names, you know, Garrett Schrader, who if you listen to my podcast, I talked about being the new face of Mississippi State a year ago and a guy who could maybe one day challenge the Dak Prescott supremacy here on campus. Uh, Kylan Hill, obviously, we all saw what happened there. And he, I, one of the, the moments that I, of the season that sort of stayed with me was the first game where the, of the, with the new flag, which was against Vanderbilt here, which happened the weekend after. You know, I remember Ole Miss, the Egg Bowl was actually their first home game where they, they were able to, uh, to, to go out there with the new flag. And, you know, State runs out on the field, and Kobe Jones, who's one of the leaders of the team, has the flag. And it was cool. It was really cool. But it, I, all I could think was, that should be Kyle Hill. That, that was his moment 
to have, and, and, it, and he didn't have it. So that, you know, that, that's, that sort of stuck with me throughout the year. But, yeah, State had to go through a lot of growing pains. But, like I said, and it's going to be tough because, you know, it's not like an, you can just go out and replace everybody who left. You can't sign 40 guys. So State's going to be down a little bit on the roster this year. I think they'll end up – they were already going to be down a little bit because of NCAA violations going back to Tudor Gate. I think they're going to be around like 78, 77 players, something like that. So, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a lot. But at the same time, it's, you know, it's something. For sure. And I like they. I imagine the way the year ended, even though if it didn't translate to wins necessarily, the way they played had to appease the fan base a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they went over to Georgia. Uh, if you, that was the first game after you know the COVID testing, and you knew they were da- you knew they were down under fifty players. You know, the SEC rule was fifty three, and that's when we found out. Well, you can play under fifty three if the team agrees to it. State went to Athens with forty three guys. I mean. Whew. Think of it, you, you played it at what, J.A.? You were you were with the J.A.? Yeah. I mean, J.A.'s football team probably had more guys than Mississippi State took to play an SEC game. And, and, and same with Ole Miss. They didn't have much more than that. I think by the end of the season, they were around 50 or so. And, but, yeah, you're right. You know, after that break, the Georgia game, they played really, really well. Had a chance to, you know, win the game. Ole Miss game had a chance to win the game late. And then against Auburn, they played pretty poorly, but they, they were still a little bit better. And then, obviously, they won the Missouri game. They won the bowl game. So, yeah, the, the end of the season got everybody sort of back on board with Mike Leach. Does that Rodgers kid – because he showed some juice, particularly at the end of the year, and an understanding of the system. I know the kid they just recruited out of – he's love. is he Lubbock, Texas? Is he West, he's West Yeah. God. Yeah. He's legit. How does that play out? I know things are different, but, like, do you view, view Will Rogers as the future of that kid? I think for 2021, it's Will Rogers, and then we'll see. The kid, Robertson, not coming here until – he won't be here till fall. He wanted to play his final high school baseball season, so he's not an early enrollee. So that, that de- delays him. I, I don't see him being able to come in and in one month beat out Will Rogers. We'll see what happens with Jack Abraham transferring into. I, I, I wouldn't be – completely surprised if he won the job, but I would be surprised. I think it's Will Rogers this year, and then in 2022, Robertson will, will issue a real challenge to him. I saw a lot of Abraham in high school doing stuff for Cronin and the Clarion Ledger way back when, and he was good. Yeah. He was a little undersized. I think that kept him from being recruited, but he, I don't think he is definitely that way now. But that's an interesting wrinkle to the whole mix. Um, yeah. So I don't keep you two hours. We'll go to basketball and then hit the baseball. Ben Hallen, uh, here's a great question. How does he win the fan base back? I think it's going to have to start, uh, you know, with winning games that he's supposed to win. Like, I don't know what State's non-conference is going to look like next year, but he needs to roll through that pretty easily. He's bringing back a pretty good team. It looks like the transfer portal is going to be good to Mississippi State. Uh, It looks like Garrison Brooks and DJ Jeffries are both headed to Starkville at this time. Obviously, that could change. But even if they don't get those guys, but with DJ Stewart and Iverson Molinar and Tolu Smith and, and Derek Fountain and Cam Matthews, you got a good nucleus there in Starkville. They were a team that they, they should have been three or four games better than they were. Probably could have been on the bubble if things had played out the correct way for them, but they didn't. Um, but he needs to win those games. And, you know, this sounds like a football kind of thing, but I don't know when he plays Ole Miss next year. He needs to win both of those games. People are tired of losing to Ole Miss. You know, his record against Ole Miss, I think, is – I think it's three and six, maybe 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 four and seven, something like that. He has not had success against Ole Miss the way, you know, obviously with Rick Stansberry, who beat them almost every year. So he's just got to win the games he's supposed to win and then find a way to find, you know, 
can you beat a Tennessee or an Alabama next year? I don't know. And, but the, that's a good point at the same time of the nine games he's played Ole Miss. How many times has Ole Miss been more talented? I mean, outside of year one, the answer is probably zero, right? I don't and, remember and in year one, they split. Point. In year one, I mean, that was State's – he had a lot of veteran guys. He had Craig Sword and Gavin Ware. That was Malik Newman's one year at Mississippi State. That was right. Canary Weatherspoon's uh, freshman year. They won the game here in Starkville. They split that year. The next year, he, he lost both games to Ole Miss. And then beyond that, you're right. I think State has probably been more talented every time, but they split every time. So, it's just, it's just been a rough go for them on the in-state sledding. It's been a pair of coaches that's not exactly a joy to watch on the offensive end. Howland has kind of always been that way. And then Kermit, once he lost, you know, guys that could fill it up from the perimeter, it's kind of been like, oh, like, what does what this look like? That team, how that Ole Miss team was a, a win away from actually making the NCAA tournament still blows my mind to this day. Because there were times, you go watch their two losses to Georgia this year, and it's like, how in the world does this team score yeah. 40 points a night, much less – uh, it's 50, and, like, I don't know. It's just such a weird year in college basketball. But interesting. I saw their season turn around, too. Is they, they, Their season turned around here in Starkville when they came here and beat Mississippi State. That team was dead in the water, and then they, they didn't only just beat State. They embarrassed them, just beat them badly. And from that point on, they started playing. It's almost like that game gave them some belief of, hey, maybe we're better than we've been playing, and it went from there. And then the other, like, the other thing that killed them, that, that kept them out of the tournament, aside from the two losses to Georgia, was in the middle of that win streak, they lost to State in Oxford. And, and it was the same kind of game. State won it pretty easily. And they, they were a loss to State in Oxford and a Vanderbilt loss without their top two scorers in Vanderbilt right. for winning, like, nine in a row, if you go look at yep. the way that schedule played out. It that just, would have been lo- a lock. For the yeah, the whole thing made little sense. But now to what I imagine everyone would prefer to talk about is baseball. Huge series this weekend against yeah. Ole Miss and State in Starkville. Uh, first question, is State at full capacity? I know Ole Miss basically has been. I mean, how just check their social media. But, like, is State, is State there? Like, how close are they? I believe this weekend will be the first full capacity weekend. Tickets are still available for general admission uh, as, we're, as we're recording right now. So I expect – Big crowds, especially it's you know Super Bowl weekend. You have the spring game as well, so I'm thinking that you know Friday night there'll be over ten thousand, and then Saturday, you know, State had I, I think with the new stadium, the new the new configuration, thirteen five, thirteen six is maybe the most you can get in there. It's that's not like the old days where you could just pack people on top of people in the left field lounge. Um, so I, I the State had I think thirteen three when they played Stanford here two years ago in the Super Regional. I, I honestly I think if the weather is good. They'll be close to that. Well, anyone and anyone, anyone and everyone listening to this, if you are attending the game, just take in a moment, soak up the scene, maybe just pour a beer out because I told you to. But like, enjoy, enjoy the fact that it is, uh, it's life back to normal because that sounds awesome. Listen uh, to me, you damned Ole Miss fans. <laughs> Listen, drink your damn beer. All right, quit throwing it in the air like a bunch of of idiots. Drink it. It's made for drinking. <laughs> Just beer monster it. I don't know. If you, hey, Dad can see me. No one else can. But no, you just stick the shirt like this, and then you drink. Good the God! The shirt. I just saw his. I just saw his his his, his nippies. Rippy's nippies. Took, oh my God! It took me thirty-five minutes and a technical delay to rip my shirt off for Hey, Dad. So that that's actually probably a little. Enjoy funny. the show. We got a show. But getting to the baseball, everyone keep your shirt on there this weekend. 
it's a crucial series for both teams for kind of different reasons. Ole Miss is not trending in a great direction. They lost a tough series at Florida where O'Sullivan did that weird opener deal. Yeah. Uh, they just kind of kind of didn't get it done on Sunday. And really was the same thing with Arkansas. And now Ole Miss has made a change to their rotation, which you could argue was about three weeks late. Drew McDaniel is going to start for Ole Miss on Sunday. But, again, you lose Tim Elko to a torn ACL and just kind of a freak play last week. Like, Ole Miss needs something good to happen for them to where State, nothing bad has happened to them since Arkansas left Starkville. And so it's kind of two teams trending in weird directions. But it's it's interesting how this SEC season has played out because we all want to make sweeping judgments out of these two out of three series. Where in reality, if you look at the whole landscape of this thing is State's good. They're probably going to be a host in a national seed. Arkansas is good. They're going to definitely be a host in a national seed. And Ole Miss is good. If they stay healthy, they are probably a host in a national seed. And, like, the rest of the league is just kind of crap, which is weird to say. Outside of Vanderbilt. Yeah, sorry, rest of the league. Rest of the West is what I meant is yeah. crap. Rest of the okay. – I mean, Alabama, yeah, yeah, I agree in with my that, opinion, yeah. is the fourth best team in the West, not even close at this point, yeah. which is so bizarre to say. But, yes, rest of the West is kind of crap. So we try to make these sweeping – judgments from this thing but I'm just looking at it from the perspective from who can game ground because state's right back in the thick of this thing they're tied with Ole Miss one game back I think it's huge from that perspective that was just kind of a rant without a question I'll start here what's up with state Sunday deal what's up with their Sunday starter did the, the Fristo kid did not start last week is that correct no he started he started he pitched four innings okay then I just read my notes wrong because the the Hudson got the win how does that work Hudson? Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Just ignore me. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I don't about. know who Hudson is. So. There, was, t- t- there was uncertainty for a, 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 a brief yeah. second with State Sunday, Sunday starter, right? Well, yeah, because they were going trying to go with Eric Sarantola, who from a stuff perspective might have the best on the team. And he's 96, 97, 98. He's got a, a A-plus, plus breaking ball. But, I mean, Rippy, your guess is as good as mine where that ball's going when it leaves his hand. So, yeah, they, they started him against LSU. He wasn't good. He's, he is still the only pitcher to have not given up a hit in SEC play. He, a couple walks and a couple hit bat, batters, but no hits. Uh, but so he hasn't pitched. He's pitched one inning since then, and that was in relief in a midweek game against Southern. And by Southern, I don't mean Southern Mississippi. Uh, and then they went to the freshman, Jackson Fristo, who got the first start. He got his first career start over there in Texas against Texas A&M because that was when not only Sarantola was out, he was out with COVID at that time, but Bednar was out with a, with a neck injury. Uh, and he's been pretty good. He'll, in all likelihood, he'll be State's Friday night starter uh, next season. But he is a freshman. So, I mean, you do have – this past weekend, you know, he gets a 10-run lead to start the game. State was up 10 nothing after the top of the first. And, I mean, he just – he didn't pitch well. State ended up needing those 10 runs at the end of the day because Arkansas – I'm sorry, Auburn got 10. So, it was, the final was 19-10. to 10. And then State won 18 to 10 last night. But then some football kind of scores happening here in Starville. Excuse me, not Hudson. Mississippi State's website, I knew I wasn't crazy, listed Houston Harding with getting the win against Auburn in the 19 to 10 game. He only pitched four innings. And, you know, they didn't do the thing where obviously they would have like predetermined, hey, he's getting the win. So I guess whoever came in for him got the win. I was about to say, because I saw the Fristo kid pitch in Arlington because I stayed for those games. 
And I thought once that they had had some issues with Sarantola, they had gotten that settled. And that's what I was looking at the box score before we started recording. And I was like, how in the world did Houston Harding earn a win there? But I guess that makes more sense. Yeah. So State seems to be – seems to be a team that's being and I don't put any stock to the Auburn thing because it's impossible to be sharp when you walk out the mound for the second inning and you're up 10 to nothing like it's literally just impossible like the the mental frame you're in is just not the same so it seems, seems to be a team driven by their pitching but it's it's they're kind of a funky offense because they don't hit the ball out of the park they don't strike out now hold on now State has more home runs on the year than Ole Miss does. They do by one, but they're kind of a middling club. They're in that upper third oh, yeah. range. They're right in the middle of the league. I say yeah. don't hit the ball out of the park. That's not their calling card. I guess I right. came off the Arkansas series where Arkansas is not that great of an offense in totality, but dear well, God. They look good the against the State the there. Right. So they, they don't hit the ball out of the fence at an alarming rate. They don't strike out at all. But they're like a top three team in terms of runs driven in. So mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. I didn't look any statistics up to back the back this up, but they they would have to be a pretty good situational hitting team at least of late. They are. They have timely hitting, and I mean, as much as you can quantify that, that's what they have. Now they are they are getting hotter. Uh, Rowdy Jordan is a, has been red hot for the past couple of weeks. His average has gone up about a hundred points. Tanner Allen has been very solid. Cameron James very solid. Luke Hancock, and then you know you've just got some other guys that are just sort of. You know, Logan Tanner, he's more as a catcher, much more of a defensive weapon. The surprise has been Logan, or sorry, Lane Forsythe, the true freshman that they brought. They brought in at shortstop because Cam James simply could not play shortstop. He was a defensive sieve there. I think he had seven errors in the first four, three weeks of the season. Uh, they moved him to third, and Forsythe came in to play short, and that settled down the defense. But now Forsythe's hitting three thirty three. And he had a, a game uh, Tuesday night against Arkansas State with his first career home run, and he missed a grand slam by about a foot uh, getting hit off the facade there and right. So his emergence has been very good. Uh, Tanner Leggett has sort of taken over at second base from Scotty DeBrule. That's a guy who's been a bit of a disappointment. He came in as a grad transfer from Jacksonville. He is technically the leading hitter in college baseball right now in terms of most career hits. He, is, he, he leads the, the nation in that stat just because he's been, at, he's been playing college baseball for four years. Still not the oldest guy on the team, though. We'll talk about Carlisle Kessler if you want to. Oh, I um, had that written down. Don't you worry. <laughs> but, yeah, this team is they, – they get hits when they need to. I'll just put it that way. Outside of Josh Hatcher, who has just been miserable this year, this is a pretty – up and down the order, pretty solid. They're not spectacular. They're not flashy. This isn't 2019 where you had Mangum and Foscue and Westberg and those guys. But this is a, a good enough hitting team, especially with the pitching state has. Ole Miss has been pretty good offensively for most of this year, but the pro- their problem is now is they lost a, the kid that was supposed to carry their lineup and Tim Elka, who was having yeah. kind of a ridiculous season before he went down at that freakish play. The next question I just kind of had for you is, out of that group of Jordan, James, Hancock, I'll throw – no, I won't. I'm not going to throw Logan Tanner in there, but Tanner Allen – if there's a guy in state gets hot and kind of ends up in that 18, 19 game sphere, if you had to place a bet on it, who carried the lineup through about a seven week stretch there or however the hell you mean? Probably Tanner Allen. Tanner Allen's the most consistent guy. He has been basically since he got to Mississippi state, he's just a guy who's going to hit around three thirty. He's got enough pop. He's not going to be a double digit home run guy, but he can hit seven, eight, nine of them. Uh, And he's just, he's just, he is the, the, the alpha dog leader on this team. I would say he, I, asked, I actually did an interview a couple weeks ago with Jake Mangum, and I was like, I think that T.A. has replaced you 
as the, he's the guy that, that will drag this team to victory. And he's like, you're absolutely correct. So Tanner Allen is the guy that when State needs a hit, that's who I want at bat. Which is probably, I say what this series comes down to, if you actually look at the numbers, Ole Miss's offense last week without Elko was fine. They were horrendous yeah. in the bullpen. Um, and then uh, their Sunday starter was, was bad. But uh, Derek Diamond, I don't think, will pitch on the weekend. Not pitch on the weekend. He won't start on the weekend again for Ole Miss. But the offense has been fine without them. But, man, you got two guys. I mean, you put look at state pitching-wise, and Ole Miss is kind of the same deal. Like, one-two outside of Vanderbilt, like, you know, not Kumar Rocker, not Jack Leiter. Ole Miss and state probably have the best two-one-two best two, one, two punches in this league. And so Friday yeah. and Saturday, I think, are going to be – you know, really about who can scrape two to three runs together maybe early in the first six innings of the game off of those two guys because before last week, that was Ole Miss's problem. Ole Miss had scored one earned run in 18 innings against teams opposing aces. I mean, you look at Gunnar Hoagland's win-loss record versus his actual numbers, and the poor guy can't get a single run of support. Not, He's not like a crooked number. The poor dude can't get one. So I think that's what it will come down to in the first two games. And it's, it's interesting – you walk go into the year. I thought Ole Miss's biggest advantage was you knew they were going to be sick on the mound Friday and Saturday. I thought Diamond was going to provide them a leg up on Sundays more so than any team in this league, Vanderbilt included. And it had, just hasn't happened that way. And Drew McDaniel's been better, but I'd like to see it when he faces an SEC lineup and has to go through the order two and a half times. Where do you kind of see the key to this series with State Line? It's interesting the way you describe that because that's how I felt about State thinking that, gosh. If Will Bedner can be your Sunday starter, you're going to win almost every series you play. But Sarantola did not pan out the way they wanted. You know, I agree with what you're saying about the first two games especially. I'm sure Sunday we'll just lock in for four and a half hours of, of SEC baseball. But close games to me in this series favor Mississippi State. I think State is more capable of winning 3-1 or, or 4-2 than Ole Miss is. So, yeah, I think it, McLeod is, is sort of the key. They need to get another good start out of him. He was rough against Arkansas, but he was good against Kentucky and Auburn. Get six innings out of him and hopefully come into a situation where you don't have to burn Landon Sims on Friday night. You'd like to not have to do that. If you can, if Landon Sims, if State wins on Friday and Landon Sims hasn't pitched, State's winning the series because whenever he comes in, the game is over. That, that, that is my rule now. When you hear White Snake, the game is over. State's going to win because that means Landon Sims is coming to the mound. Uh, he's just been. I mean, you've seen it. He's just been fantastic. So Friday night is really – I mean, obviously it is almost any time you play a series, but that's going to be the key. Can McLeod outduel uh, Hoagland and get State a win there, and can they avoid using Landon Sims in game one? State has not gone to Sims twice in a weekend yet, which I, I thought they might do that this past weekend, but they got off to a 10 nothing lead against Auburn, and they didn't have to worry about it. But I, I, would, I would not be surprised if this is the weekend where you see Landon Sims twice. But if you can avoid using him on Friday and he's good for Saturday, Sunday, it's going to be tough for Ole Miss uh, to, to overcome that. <laughs> Landon Sims' raw numbers, you don't even really have to go deep on this, are no. just insane. He's allowed one earned run in 21 and a third. He struck out 43 hitters to seven walks in 21 and a third innings. I saw that earlier today and was like, how many batters has he faced? Scattered yeah, it, 10 it, hits. And it's interesting. There was a time though, where he had struck out one out of every three batters he faced. Okay, so not, he, not outs, not outs, batters faced. So his for I know maybe state's season has just been weird, but the the number of saves is bizarre. It's only three. 
Yeah. It, but it he's come in in some closer. situations. He he is the closer, but he has come in. There are times where he comes in, and and State has just got a big. He he closes games where there aren't safe situations sometimes. And of course, you know, if you were at the game in Texas, I don't know if you saw the, the his first uh, go round. He came in after McLeod got into trouble in the uh, fifth. Came in with bases loaded and nobody out. Struck out the side. Ended up striking out eleven, I think, in three innings or, or four innings, something like that. I guess it'd have to be four. It couldn't be three. There's not, not that many outs, but. Yeah, he's, and he's just been on, on a roll ever since. Has, has nothing. I mean, just throws hard. He's one of those guys who changes speeds by throwing harder. And his, his, when he does throw the slider, it's, it's, it's been unhittable for him so far this year. Yeah, and Ole Miss is similar in that sense to where, you know, on paper, I thought the reason this Ole Miss team coming into the year was, was different than past Bianco teams was the amount of bullpen depth that they had. Because if you look at the team on paper heading into February – He's never had that many guys with that much game experience that he could go to. They were a little bit right. right-handed heavy. But, I mean, seriously, he had seven, eight guys that you thought, okay, you trust him in this situation. In between, you know, they lost Max Trophy for the year earlier this week with the UCL thing. Right. Um, a couple other guys just haven't been as good. It's kind of been an adventure up to Taylor Broadway, who has been absolute nails for Ole Miss this year. Um, kind of the similar deal. Uh, you know, Bianco brought him in. <laughs> You know, the opening series happened. Gunner kind of exits a little early. TCU makes it a game, that first game in Arlington. And uh, I forget who came in. I think it was Austin Miller. He kind of puddled around. He got to like a one-run game. And he went to Broadway in the sixth and was like, I, I, you know, quit screwing around. Let's end this shit. And he showed kind of the propensity to do that all the time. I mean, hell, they were Broadway twice in one day in Tuscaloosa a couple weeks ago to end the game. And so I would argue – I would say State's key here is not letting – Gunnar Hoagland and Doug Nikhazy go seven and a third to where if yeah. they, they're handing the ball directly to Broadway, that's probably not a great deal for them. But if you can spike their pitch count and kind of what Arkansas did, particularly with Hoagland, and get them out midway through the sixth, and I know that sounds like a small window, but it makes a huge difference. It's a huge difference, someone, yeah. Yeah, if someone, has, someone else has to touch the ball in those first two games other than Taylor Broadway, particularly the first one, I would say State has the leg up. And so I think it's going to be a fascinating series because I think these two teams are about even. I would say, you know, when you look at the three teams, I would say Arkansas is slightly better. But I would say all these three of these teams are on the same footing. Like if, if Ole Miss and if Starkville, Starkville, State and Arkansas played again, I might honestly bet on State to win the series. Like I think that's kind of an anomaly, which kind of goes back to my point about not making sweeping judgments about all three of these things. But I think this thing's going to be a treat to watch. We talked to Aaron Fitt on the show today, and he said that in terms of, you know, obviously Arkansas won the series against State and Ole Miss, but in terms of winning a national title, he likes State and Ole Miss better. It's because they, they just have more pitching depth. And it's sort of funny to hear you talk about Ole Miss and their bullpen, and I'm thinking one of State's better bullpen arms the past few weeks is from Oxford, Mississippi, Parker Stinnett, guy yeah. who throws 95, 96, and has incredible flow working with that Joe Dirt mullet he's got going. Uh, it, it is a thing of beauty. And, and and a dirt stash, too. He is a, a monster out there. I uh, love watching him pitch. So, yeah, yeah whoever, keep an eye out of that flow. Yeah, you, you, need, to, you need to know what's going on there. Uh, you're, you're right. I think this should be a good series. Um, I think State will take it. Maybe that's just the homer pick. I don't know. But I just feel like – I feel like State – McLeod and Hoagland is, is going to be a good matchup. It, it's, it's, it really does – whoever wins that game, I feel, is going to win the series. I like Bednar better than Nikhazy, to be totally honest. I think – I mean, Bednar has been really, really good. His numbers are, are silly, too, just sort of like Landon Sims. 
And then on Sunday, I mean, State just has a little more depth on the pitching staff, so I think that can carry them to the win on Sunday. I wouldn't be totally surprised to see State drop Friday and then win Saturday, Sunday, but I feel like they have a good chance to win this series regardless. Yeah, I, I would say – so I think Nikhazy going back to Saturday, you know, he had that injury that he missed a couple weeks for because he was the Friday guy, and Gunner was so damn dominant. I mean, th- that kid's pitching his way to it. He's not going to be on the MLB draft board at number 12 at this point. Right. I would argue he's probably top 10 if he slips out by a pick um, 11. So that's going to be kind of a wash. Saturday, I, I might agree, but I would say the only thing I'd push back on was that whatever it is, and I can't quantify this, Nikhazy being on Saturday, because he doesn't have, like, he has good stuff, but it's not elite level type stuff. He's just kind of a dog that's going to battle all the time. Yeah. He translates to Saturday a hell of a lot better. And so I think he's been a lot more dominant since he's moved back to the number two role. But hell, Bednar's been really good in his own right. And then Sunday. And he I has. Yeah, I just don't know on Sunday at this point. What does Ole Miss' yeah. bullpen look like? Because I think yeah. Drew McDaniel's definitely going to be better than Derek Diamond based on the last two weeks because you literally couldn't get worse with Diamond. He got four outs last time. So what does their bullpen look like and how does McDaniel go? If it's 1-1, I mean, hell, flip a coin and see how that happens. But uh, I, I think uh, you're right because whoever wins this Friday night game, and I mean, I'm blittering the obvious here, is going to have a huge advantage because I think both teams feel like they might have a leg up on Saturday. So, yeah. and, that, and the thing you said about Nikhazy, it's true about Bednar. He's a battler, and he, he does it, but he has the elite stuff. He can throw 95-96. He has the great breaking ball. He'll be a first-round pick. So that's why I think State has the advantage there. For sure. And if Ole Miss wins this series, the dudes on paper that are supposed to perform out of this bullpen are going to have to start being good again. They can't get away with running Broadway out for the second time in two days and asking him to get five outs again. No, it's not that's, no way to win in, that's no way to win in June, I'll put it that way. Hell yeah, not consistently. And so I, I think that if Ole Miss's bullpen actually performs, they'll have a hell of a lot better shot, obviously, than if they don't. Because if you're doing the Broadway thing again on, on Saturday afternoon where it's like, can he get five outs to even this series up? It's like, okay, they're probably, probably not in a great place. So right. before I let you get out of here, how is, the, uh, how is the radio show with three dudes? I was asking Borky about this earlier because it's got to be the dynamics changing, and I imagine Richard Cross's head has just got even bigger. Oh, my God, it's just incredible. Uh, it, it lacks the dry humor that you provided. I mean, there, you had you had a definite role on that show. And, I mean, the jokes, you know, and you caught a lot more of my references than anybody else did. So, I, I will make a reference. Make jokes. Occasionally. Occasionally. <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't talked about Dr. Harden in a while. Uh, but, no. yeah, they, they'll, 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 they'll say something and it just slides. And somebody on the text line will say, I caught that. Good, good joke, hey, Dad. I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just giving Richard gold. And he's just, I don't want it. So it's definitely different. Uh, it, it, there's definitely, your presence is missed, I, I, at least for me anyway. Because there are times where I'll say something and I'm like, man, Rippy would really take off if I said this. <laughs> and, you know, I, I just knew, to, to use a wrestling term, I knew how to make you pop. I knew, I knew, I knew what to say to get a reaction of, of out of Brian Scott Rippy. And vice versa. It was, uh, and then we'd always just look to Richard and be like, you going to step in here? Like, yeah. the, <laughs> the annoying. The annoying parent. Before I get out of here, by the way, I want to point out that I, as a Mississippi State person, a fan, have done more for Ole Miss this week than just about anybody. Did you see this thing I was doing with Alex McDaniel? I drove Mississippi State fans to donate for the Ole Miss marching band and that we got enough people to do it. 
She's coming to the Egg Bowl in full maroon regalia as a result of this. So thousands of dollars raised for Ole Miss and the marching band. You're welcome, Ole Miss fans. I saw that. How about that? That is a noble cause because the only reason I know where Ole Miss band practices is because that's where you walk to get to right field in Swayze. You walk across <laughs> the smosh pit to get out there. And it's a, it's a damn shame. That's a cool thing y'all are doing. I noticed that today at the office I was really bored yeah. and I went down that rabbit hole. That is a cool thing. So, hey, Dad, just an absolute uh, absolute man of the people. Um, check him out. Thunder and Lightning podcast. He and Joel T. Coleman. Five days Woo. a week. Uh, just absolutely crushing it over there. This was fun, dude. I really appreciate it. Anytime you just want to, like, talk, it doesn't have to be State Ole Miss, especially with the meat guy. I'm happy to talk to him. Dude, we're going to get you back on, and we're not going to talk sports for an hour. That's going to be the entire goal. We're just I'm in. I'm totally in for it. <laughs> Radio stories, Nashville hotel rooms. Who the hell, <laughs> who the hell knows? We'll just see where it goes. <laughs> Don't watch that video, Rippy. That's all. I, that was the only advice I ever tried to give you, and you didn't listen to me. <laughs> you can't hey, here's a video of somebody getting shot in a church. I'm going to wait watch this. Don't watch that, Rippy. You said don't watch it, and then it got 10 seconds later. I was like, oh, damn it, you're right. This is too late. I'm <laughs> sleeping tonight. That was the night where we got 5 a.m. pizza from that place in Nashville. You would have thought we had steak and lobster. We were so happy to be eating that damn pizza. I was about to say, I think I told no less than 10 people that whatever that place was, don't even know its name was the greatest pizza I've ever had. And it was I incredible. We were so happy to be eating it that time of night. All right, be well, my friend. We will do this again soon, and uh, yes, enjoy the weekend. I wish I was there. Take it easy, buddy. Good to talk to you.